You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. If you're watching this on video, you might have noticed I'm not on the normal set. That's because this is recorded here in Boulder at Kimball Musk's place. This is Kimball. Nice to meet you, Kimball. Nice to see you again, David. If you're a long-time listener, you remember Kimball's last interview that we did at his newly opened restaurant called The Kitchen. And I went there to interview because, like, what is this tech guy? When I say tech guy, Tesla, SpaceX, you guys recognize the last name, right? But you're on the boards of these companies and you were the first company uh, with Elon to do mapping online. Yeah, we did it in in the mid-90s. Mid-90s. I I will say, I I stopped getting lost after Zip2 was formed. Thank you very much. It was was a crazy time. It really was. (laughs) And people who were there remember Silicon Valley that way. And yet, years later, I didn't meet you back then. Years later, all of a sudden, like, what is the tech guy doing with regenerative ag and a grass-fed restaurant? Because I did the grass-fed restaurant in LA and I'm on a regenerative farm. And so we had to talk then, but now it's time for an update because you've done a lot and since then, yeah. including a new cookbook, which is actually really cool because it's got real food in it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we're going to cook together, show people yep. some stuff, and we're going to catch up on what's happening in the movement and other just cool stuff. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Regenerative versus industrial plant-based oat milk. What's your stance? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I, when we started the kitchen in 2004, I, I actually did it coming off a 9-11 experience. Mm. And um, it's, it's kind of weird, why would, what's 9-11 got to do with restaurants or food? But I, I, when I, after the mapping company, uh, we sold it, uh, my brother did PayPal, and I went to cooking school in New York. And it was just a passion of mine. I'd cooked since I was a kid. I found that when I cooked, uh, it's literally from 11 to 12 years old, um, my family would sit down and eat. And that was it. You know, I was like, well, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, my mom jokes that she also, her, her, her lack of cooking skills also inspired me to, uh, to cook. And so by making the food tastier and also getting everyone to sit down, we really started to build this this tight fabric as a, as a family. And, and I really, really believe that is, that, that really is what made us what we are today, where we all connect, are very, very strongly connected at a very deep level. And um, uh, that co- cooking, cooking for your community, is, it, it gives me life, gives me joy, and it connects me with my community. And I really believe it makes a huge difference. So what, what happened with cooking school was a few weeks after cooking school, 9-11 happened. I was in New York for cooking school. And uh, I woke up to the sounds of the planes hitting the building. Mm. I was right at Chambers and Broadway. And it was this crazy experience where you wake up as a New Yorker and you, you hear the sound. And then the, you, a doorman, the doorman rang the bell saying, planes hit the building, planes hit the building. And you live in New York, so you're like, some idiot has hit a plane into the building. Like you're thinking it's a small little plane or some, some rinky-dink thing. And so I get in the shower and uh, go down, go down to cross the street to the deli. As I get out of the elevator, another plane's hit the building. And again, you're in New York, so you can't look up and see the buildings. You're close by, but you, you get these other skyscrapers in the way. Go to the deli, and uh, many, many more people in line than usual. So I'm, I know the deli really well. 
I just want to get two cups of coffee. I pay the pay, I don't get in line. I just pay right up front, help myself. And um, um, over the radio, it said that the Pentagon got hit. Mm-hmm. And that's when everyone just started r- running. And I r- ran upstairs, got my wife Jan at the time, and, and um, we, we, just, we just started running. We got to Canal Street by the time the first one fell, and the second one fell when we were at Union Square, and we actually saw, by that point you could see, right? You could, all you saw at Canal Street was this giant crazy cloud of white so powder. you were running away from They were the running place? north. Okay. Yeah, so um, yeah, you're just running. We're just running with the crowd. <laughs> and when we get to Canal Street, you, you see people coming out of the cloud, dust cloud. They might be in a fire, fire truck or they might have been in a police car or just regular cars. You couldn't tell. They were just covered in white dust and people clinging onto the sides of the cars just to, to get right out. And, um, and when I saw that, you know, reality just broke. You just, you just see the World Trade Center's fall in front of your eyes. My mom... Uh, lives at 22nd Street, so we, us with about eight other people just slept on the floor there for about a week. And then she got a call. She's a well-known dietitian at the time. She's now retired that they're looking for volunteers to cook for the firefighters. And she said, look, I can't cook, but my son can. And I, uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. That would, that would be an honor. And, of course, millions of people are trying to volunteer. So she volunteered you. She volunteered me. <laughs> And, um, and I had just gotten a cooking degree, so they were like, okay, this guy's for real. But the other thing that I had was a security pass because you can't get down to ground zero unless you live there. Mm. And even then, you can only do it like 14 days or so after 9-11. And so I got, to back, got back down there, and for six weeks, every single day, 16 hours a day, whether it was peeling potatoes or eventually cooking with some of the best chefs in the world, you go to, go to the, this gymnasium that w- had been converted to a cafeteria, you're feeding these firefighters, they're coming in from these giant piles of melting metal, still melting weeks after 9-11. You can still smell, it smells like the dentist, the worst smell ever. And um, um, we, you watch them sit down, they're completely gray, and they their eyes are, are, are down, and you feed them this beautiful real food that we were cooking, all you know, constantly just the best. You can imagine that we were just getting the yeah. best farmers, best fishermen just giving us or giving us all their food to cook for them and that slowly the life would come back into their eyes and then they would start talking to each other and then they would actually kind of have a like a revitalized uh, experience I, I would do this every day and it was that feeling of community through food that that this life bringing energy we were, we were putting into them I said you know what I didn't plan on doing a restaurant after cooking school I just wanted to learn how to cook. I'm a, I'm a student of life, so like, let's go learn. And I was like, yeah, I, I got to go do a restaurant. And so came to Boulder, 2002, and in 2004, we opened the kitchen. Um, and it's just been this beautiful experience of community through food ever since. Mm. This might be one of the, the less scientific questions in, in the world of biohacking, but does food taste different when there's love in it? You know, we actually use that word. It, it's, uh, it really does make a difference. You know, there's a, if you see your grandmother cooking or, you see, or some, some, some figure who, who, who in your family loves to cook and they, they really are pouring their love into that, into that dish, uh, what, what, what I think that translates to on a scientific level is they're, they're being really careful not to overcook it or they're cooking it, just, they're braising it just the right amount and they know, they know where it needs to go. And they're they're putting that just a little bit extra in, 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 in every step of the way, and an easier way to say that is, is love. 
Mm. I love it. So yeah, there's consciousness uh, from the person preparing yeah. the food. And Buddhists actually teach that. They say the fewer people who touch your food, the better. Oh, cool, yeah. And the Dalai Lama is very particular about who can prepare his food. Because this is once one who's angry and pissed off. Oh, and then they put it into their food, yeah. Yeah, because they believe that, you know, food absorbs that. And I, it probably does. You know, it's you know actually, that's funny you said it. I, was, I, I cook dinner for my kids every night. It's one of my things. I'll, I'll be working, I'll come home, cook, sit down, have dinner with them, just like I did growing up with my family. And just uh, the other night, um, I was having an argument with my daughter about what, what we should cook. And I was like, I'm going to cook something that you're going to be jealous that I have it. And, you, and I'll cook something else for you. But honestly, I was, it wasn't related to her at all, but I was just kind of angry. I was having a tough day. And I, and I sat, they sat down, I was like, my meal kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, when you're angry, you don't, you're not able to kind of put that sort of consciousness, that love into it, that, that sort of soft energy that goes into making it taste so good. Yeah, that food nourishes people, love nourishes people. There's an emotional thing that's hard to measure, but people can feel. And I, I feel like that's extra important in, in even how you prepare the food, but also how animals are treated, how plants are treated. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, we, we, in the world of regenerative farming, there's a lot of there's a lot of scientific principles there, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about as, uh, throughout the podcast. But but what you're you're putting love into it. But the animals there are you're caring for them. They are they're they're caring for the land. It's a it's a it's a beautiful cycle. Can you have regenerative agriculture without animals on the farm? I don't think so. I mean, peop- obviously, there isn't, a, there isn't a hard and fast definition of regenerative. Yeah. In my opinion, and, I, and it's supported by most people, Again, there's a, there are a lot of, lot of views on the subject. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you talk about soil health, you, manure is a big part of that. Yeah. And regenerative farming is about bringing life back into the soil. It's about... Uh, sequestering carbon in the soil, which, by the way, makes the food taste better. So it's really about bringing the soil back to life. Right. And animals are part of life. They are. And I, I, when I hear people talk about, you know, let's remove animals from farms because we'd have to kill them when they were done, I, I kind of feel like, why do you hate animals so much? Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? there's another way to think about it, which is a practice of, of thanking the animal. Amen, right? Yeah, and, and to be grateful for, for it, uh, for the, this incredible circle of life that we have. And, you know, we did, a, we did something that was pretty, pretty controversial at, at the kitchen. We, we, we would raise our own animals. And, yeah. and that, wasn't, that part wasn't controversial. I, I did that too. <laughs> was, why was that controversial? Yeah, yeah. Well, what we would do is we would name the animals mm-hmm. and then we would put the names on the menu. I think that's... Freaking beautiful. And so we had we were, had these two lambs and we named them Nessie and Bessie. And we put on the menu Nessie and Bessie with couscous. And we got this this uproar. uproar. And it was from a lot of vegetarians. And, yeah. and when and their first reaction was negative. But when we actually said, actually, what we're here is, we're here to respect the animal and make sure that yes. people really understand that this was a living being that, that, that gave themselves to, to this dish. They're, they changed their tune. And they were like, you know what, you're actually... Connecting people more to the, to what they're what they're eating, mm-hmm. that can only be a good thing. And, and is a farmer who cares enough to name his animal going to torture the animal? No, allowed to be killed exactly in a way that's disrespectful. No, and yeah, we named our animals too for exactly the same reason because you, we're nourishing them 
and then they're nourishing us and it's the cycle of life and there's gratitude and that's why they're here. Exactly. And, and when you're talking about regenerative farming, you, you get a relationship with your animals. And with your whole soil. And yes, right? yes, your farm. You even know that that section of the farm needs a little bit extra here or there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's this, uh, you know, it's kind of like putting love into your food. If you're putting love into your land, that, that at its core, I think, is what regenerative farming is about. It, it really is. And even from a young age, you know, my, a lot of people, it was controversial because you know, my kids are on a farm and we have cows and chickens and pigs and sheep and all that. And we let them pick the names. And I remember the first time we had pigs, my daughter um, picked um, the names to Ben because it means swine in Swedish and they were learning Swedish. Right, and she thought it was funny, right? Uh, and then, but when it's time, she's like, I want to make sure that we know which bacon is from Sven, because that's going to taste the best. Like, that's that's right. Exactly, right? exactly. And, and there was no trauma. There was no, like, it was, it was just like a happy thing and like a grateful thing. And, and the fact that you put those on the menu at the kitchen, I think it exhibits extreme consciousness. Consciousness and, and gratitude. Yeah. You're, you're, you really are connecting the guests to the food and... Um, it was actually the meat eaters that struggled with it. Where when they dug in a bit, they were like, "Hey, whoa, this is a bit much for me." And and actually, that was the that was actually our goal was not to. I, I'm a meat eater. I, I don't, I'm not asking anyone to change to not to not eat meat. And as I, as we were saying, it's they're part of the cycle. But um, but but to be conscious of it and to be grateful for what they've given, I think, is pretty great. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Do you ever wish that you had a remote control that could just change how you feel at any time? I do. And there is such a thing. It's called the Apollo Wearable by Apollo Neuro. It doesn't just track your biometrics like most wearables. It allows you to control your biometrics. How? You just wear it around your ankle, your wrist, or as a clip attached to your clothes, and it helps to rebalance your autonomic nervous system using vibration. The more you wear it, the more it improves your HRV and trains your body to relax, sleep better, and find deeper focus. Neuroscientists and physicians developed the Apollo wearable, and it's got research to back it up. Users experience up to 40% less stress 30 minutes more sleep at night, and up to 25% more focus. I've been wearing it whenever I feel like I want help shifting my state, and it makes a big difference in stress levels. Try it out and see how it works for you. Head to apolloneuro.com slash Asprey to save 15% on your Apollo wearable. That's apolloneuro.com slash Asprey save 15%. Now I have to go a little deeper with it. Okay. We're, we're both tech Silicon Valley yeah. guys, so... When you boil us down all the way, are we meat robots or do we have a soul and spirit? I am absolutely a believer in the soul and spirit. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think it's a quite a depressing outlook to 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 choose to say we're you know 
we're, we're you know, meat and bones, just a bag of, bag of meat. Um, and, I, and I think it's a choice. It's not like you can prove it either way. So I feel love for people around me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, where's that coming from? That's not an artificial intelligence. That's not, that's not a, the meat and bones. That's, that's coming from inside me. That, 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 that's soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying that for me. Uh, I share that view, and I didn't used to. I, I was kind of a hardcore atheist meat robot. But if you start studying and paying attention, you just realize there, there's something out there, and there's enough data points even to support it. Yeah, that there's stuff going on. You know, I actually I had a, a different. I, do, I had two different lives. I had a very serious accident when I was 37, and prior to that accident, I was much more like you described. We're very much hardline techie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, opened the restaurant at that point, but it was still coming at it from an analytical place. Right. Like, okay, we, we should work with our local farms because we want to support our community. Right. We should work with the local farms because we can see how our animals are raised. You know, these are all logical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was going down a ski hill on an inner tube, and the tube flipped, landed on my head, going 35 miles an hour. Ouch. Ouch. And I have the metal spine here wow. that they, they, they put in there. But... Being paralyzed for those three days and just kind of feeling the voice of God. And I don't, I'm not a religious person. I don't subscribe to any, any of the religions. But I felt the voice of God. I felt, uh, I felt a deep resonance in me. And at that point, I wasn't sure if I would be able to be healed. And it was about three days and they did a, well, one, one difficult experience after the other in terms of seeing, trying to examine whether they, could, whether they could fix me. And they did complete the surgery. But actually, it was in that moment where uh, I said to God, I said, if I am healed, I will really dedicate myself to, to f- food in a way that would make the, the planet a better, pla- a better place. Wow. And, but prior to that, I was very tech and heady oriented. And after that, I was very soul and spirit oriented. Was the, the voice of God scary? No, it was, a, it was just very clear. Interesting. It wasn't, you know, the, the monkey brain? Yeah. Everyone has yeah. that? It's gone. Wow. Just completely gone. And uh, I've done ayahuasca later in life. And ayahuasca is a, they, it is a DMT chemical that's released that, that, that is simulating when you're dying. Yeah. And it was actually a very similar experience. It was a, oh, wow, the voice, is, the voice of God is back. That's interesting. Mm. And um, it was a powerful experience for me, but I didn't even necessarily need it that second time. I already had it. You already had it. And it's, uh, it, that moving of soul and spirit, I now apply to the food I cook, my family. Uh, we work in schools, helping kids grow food um, in organic regenerative soil. And uh, it is, it's just a much more beautiful way of living. Wow, I, I like that. Um, I had a, a direct God experience too, and not at all scary, you know, pure goodness, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's going to blow a fuse in me. I'm like, I, I right. don't know if I can carry that much current for more than a minute <laughs> yeah. here. Or like, like something's going to melt. Um, and I don't talk about it that often, but yeah, that, that can make things like psychedelics. Like, eh. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah. I think that for people who are going through PTSD or especially military veterans, yeah. it's so powerful. Yeah. It is such a great way to, to, to go in and, and, to, and talk to your own spirit and however you want to describe it. Uh, for me, it, it, was a, it was beautiful in that it reminded me, and I also didn't need 
reminding because it was always with me. And it was always with you because you you kind of rediscovered your humanity because of a near-death experience. And then you brought that into all of your work with kids and with restoring soil. And um, just the, the parallels there. Uh, are, are just really fascinating for me. So thanks for, for going yeah, deep yeah. on, Thank on you. the why behind what you do. Um, I'm, um, you know, um, Elon's $100 million carbon capture X prize. Sure. Yeah. So that wasn't going to be elected to be an X prize. And when I ran Bulletproof, I was a small sponsor of the X prize. And I gave this impassioned speech. I'm like, guys, this carbon thing really matters. So I don't have half a million dollars to sponsor the creation of the prize that Elon eventually funded. I said, but I have 50 grand, right? And like, and you're dumb if you don't do it. And a few other small guys like me pledged a little bit and someone came in with the rest and that launched the beginning of the, pro- of the prize. That's great. But my answer was, we just need to fix our soil. Like we already, the technology is like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. right? And, and, and in my mind, I'm going, it's all about the soil, Yeah. right? Well, actually, yeah, we've done it done at scale, yeah. and I mean, it would require a lot of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- the, the math actually works out that we would be able to sequester all, all of the carbon that we were using up in um, in the world, you, you know, driving cars and so forth. But we have to do it at scale, and and yeah. the challenge with regenerative at scale is not that we that farmers don't want to do it. It's just you kind of have to do it one farmer at a time, and needs actually a lot of government support yeah. to to help farmers make that transition. It didn't work in Sri Lanka, though. Re- regenerative? Yeah. Well, I guess they were they were doing organic, but not regenerative. Was that the issue? Because uh, yeah, they banned uh, fertilizer or something in an attempt to become regenerative. And of course, food production fell. Prices went up. Government gets, I think, overthrown. But it, it was a little bit yeah. I you know I I have I have uh, this experience. I wouldn't say it's the best experience, but I I got fascinated with Cuba for a, mm. for a long time because they had been forced to be organic for decades, and I. Uh, and there were a whole bunch, and I know I work. I work in Florida um, with a lot of farmers that are, are organic and are regenerative, and uh, I wanted to see what what Cuba was like. Um, and they 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 you know they have a blockade, so they were not at the time allowed to have fertilizer, at least not from America. And you know when you get there, you, you realize actually they're they're growing at ten percent productivity relative to their neighbors in Florida. Same land, same weather system. Um, and they're doing organic regenerative in Florida, and they're doing organic regenerative in 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 Cuba. But but communism is just a terrible system to motivate people. Yeah. And so I, I can't speak for Sri Lanka, but but actually you do need to have systems in place that that encourage you to to put love into your land, to put love into your food, and um, uh, think what you like about capitalism. It certainly makes sure your uh, your output, your what you're producing, is 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 growing um, in a healthy way. It's one of the reasons that I've been so loud about grass-fed. There was a global grass-fed butter shortage in 2014. That was my fault because I, I know grass-fed leads to regenerative. Yeah. Right. And the, it, that's an economic thing. But if demand is high for what you're doing at the kitchen, it, it, for all of the regenerative stuff, then farmers will respond. And if instead demand is high for, you know, sterilized soil-derived soy biscuit, uh, you know, vegan puffs, um, then that's what we're going to have the world made out of, and then we won't have any carbon sequestration in the soil, and then carbon is going to be an issue. But the dead soil was the real issue. Carbon yeah. was a symptom, yeah. right? So you're doing something magic. You're teaching kids how to do regenerative farming in schools, and yeah. actually called Big Green. Tell me about that and, and why you think that matters. So, so 
My goal is to actually get everyone in America growing food. And the place, place to start is with kids. And if you, you, you can do it in schools where we do these beautiful outdoor classrooms that are edible schoolyards. And we help the teachers teach classes that they would normally be teaching in the class. They just do it outside. Mm-hmm. And the, the motivation, of course, is beautiful to teach outside. But we also design them very beautifully and carefully so that they're very easy to teach in. Kids have fun in it. They're, they're raised about 18 inches off the ground rather than at grade. Um, irrigation is built in, so the maintenance is very easy. No fences are allowed. We have all, all these cool innovations we've been doing. We've been doing that almost now 13 years. So it's been, been beautiful. We were in thousands of schools. And the, um, um, the power of them growing their own food, you take those same kids and you give them a tomato or you give them carrot or lettuce or something like that, that they, will, they will just reject it outright. But you, you have them grow something, they will eat that carrot right out of the ground with the dirt on it. And they, they love it. Like, love they, it. They really connect. They, and again, it comes back to love. Mm-hmm. They are actually putting love into that garden when it, when it produces something and... Um, Carrots are, are a magic trick. You know, you, you, all you see is a little green sprout and you pull it out of the ground and you're five or six years old. You're like, what? <laughs> this is, I did this. I mean, it's really incredible. And so to, to do that now with um, uh, hundreds of thousands of kids now across the country, we, we, we've, we also now do a lot of funding for nonprofits in communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that COVID forced us to do was to, instead of traveling, because you couldn't get, get on planes and schools were, had a lot more restrictions, was, well, what if we helped other nonprofits that work in the space? And so now we have a community of about, about 150 nonprofits that we support, all working on getting Americans to grow food. Mm. That's interesting. To make food safer, more available, cheaper, and help the environment, we need distributed food production. It can't all be owned by one, you know, evil billionaire yeah. or another, yeah. not naming names. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, in order to do that, we, you need distribution. But what you're doing is you're also distributing the nonprofit work. So it's yeah. also distributed instead of one big, you know, nonprofit that maybe isn't doing things for the right reasons. Well, I mean, in, in, it, it, it actually uh, ensures availability and reliability. Well, it was, it was an interesting process. When I first started Big Green in 2010, uh, I was a tech guy. You know, this is right after I broke my neck, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. Um, and I was watching what everyone else had been doing, and I'd helped them philanthropically before. And I was like, you're doing this wrong and that wrong, and we just pull that, pull that lever there, pull that lever there. We, we'll really be able to do this better and faster and, and reach more kids. And I, did, and I did do that, and it was very, very effective, very successful. But I also had to deal with quite a lot of frustration from these other nonprofits where they were like, Kimberly, why don't you help us uh, instead of doing it for us? And I think I had that tech mentality where I was like, look, we're just going to solve the problem. Like, mm-hmm. just let's, let's not complicate things. Well, it might kind of just run in your upbringing. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, so in that process, I actually did learn that by bringing other nonprofits into the fold, helping them be more effective, still you know, providing them the technology and the tools and, and those same levers, and, uh, but, but, but allowing them to put their special source into it and their, and their love into it has really been a, a magical evolution of Big Green over the years. So you're, you're adding even the community vibe into Oh, that. yeah. In fact, I would say the, the power of what we were doing from with mm-hmm. Big, Big Green has transformed to be about community. It's almost like it's superpower. Got it. And that comes back to what we do at the restaurants. I am 
uh, you know, this wonderful phrase that Picasso, or quote that Picasso does, which is, the meaning of life is to find your gift, and the purpose of life is to give it away. Wow. That's a beautiful quote. Beautiful. So for me, I, I found my gift, which is community. I love bringing people together, whether it's my kids or my family or it's uh, the people at the restaurant, and, and to give it away. And I do the same thing with Big Green and have learned that that's where I get fed when, when I feel community around me. Mm, I, I love it. When I'm chatting with you, I'm watching the way your brain works. And I have a neuroscience company, and that's part of what I do. Okay. When I ask you a technical question, your eyes look up that way. Okay. And then you, you actually switch into this analytical mode. Your tone of voice changes. Oh, yeah. Right? That, I, can, I, so don't know, I don't know that, but I can believe that. What's going on when you switch into like computational tech guy mode versus your default mode now, which is more like compassion Love well, yeah, I, 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 so, so there's a switch in there. Well, you know I, where, where I where I recall you just doing that, or I mean, just doing it was, I was thinking about the technical design of the learning gardens. Yes. yes. And then my head went into analytical place. Uh huh. And then I was then connecting to the community that we have at Big Green, and I was in a soul spiritual place. Right. And I, I think it's great to have both. It is. You're very facile at switching between the two relatively effortlessly compared to most people I've talked with. Oh, thank you. Have you always been able to do that? Or is that post-injury? I think I've, 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 uh, I've, I've, prior to me having my life-changing accident, I really downplayed the, the EQ, I guess, the emotional yeah. quotient. Yeah. And I, have, I played up the technical side. And, mm-hmm. and uh, now I really enjoy holding both. You seem balanced. Yeah, and it's actually uh, um, it is a it's a beautiful thing to learn that you don't there isn't a light side and a dark side. There isn't a good and an evil. There's like just like you can hold a number of things. In fact, you know more than two things in your head. Yeah, they're they're useful states as long as you choose the states instead of them choosing you. Right. Right. If you, you if you're conscious about the fact that that if you if you're just conscious about what what's going on inside you, yeah, I think you learn a lot. I wanted to create more resilience and cognitive function in myself. That's why I started doing biohacking before I called it that in my mid-20s in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I'm like, if only my brain could work better, then yeah. I could do even more. Uh, and I didn't understand it was consciousness that, that was a part of it. And I, I started paying more and more attention and looking at things that were affecting my state. And you know, nootropics and psychedelics and, and all the you know, blinky lights you can possibly imagine. But one of the things that showed up in my data, which is on the side of lab notebooks mostly, <laughs> was food. Yeah. Right? So when I eat the right stuff, the good stuff, mm-hmm. right, my resiliency, what I called the bulletproof state of high performance for a while, it was so strong and I could hold it almost effortlessly for 24 hours straight if I needed to until everyone else couldn't do it anymore. I'm like, no, there's more. Um, but if you gave me the wrong stuff for my biology, and it's not sure. the same for yeah. everyone, I was kind of, uh, kind of a jackass. Like I, I uh, get, right, yeah, 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 yeah. My, I couldn't control my emotions the way I wanted to, and, and now I don't just have to control them. I have to be aware and they do what they're going to do. Yeah. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, 
more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What's your relationship with food and your level of love and compassion that you, that you carry? So for me, for me, food is, uh, for me, I, it's the gift I give myself three times a day. I cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm at work and I, I, I am eating with colleagues, I, would, I won't cook in that case because it has to, has to be um, in a restaurant nearby. I really try to avoid eating, eating in the office. I think that it's, the experience of eating is, is calms the nervous system if you, if you choose to, to let it be that way. Um, so for me, I put love into it. I, I, um, I find cooking is like therapy. You know, so you, I'm, a, I'm a pretty high-strung guy when, I, when I'm working at work and I'm dealing with a lot of challenging things. And I come home, and I, like I said earlier, I, I, cook, I cook every night. And I, I come home and I cook. And that, that sort of 20 to 30 minutes of calming myself down sets me up to then sit down with my family and we do a gratitude at the mm. table before we start eating. Your and, kids are still pretty young. Uh, 11 to 20. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But you know, my even goodness. the 20-year-olds, you'd think they would be like, why are we doing that anymore? They're, they're like, nope, we're having dinner. They're, they are on it. Uh, they're holding, they're holding me accountable now. That's so good. <laughs> it's great. I... Um, the idea of having family meals is something I've always done. I, I like to think I've had dinner with my kids at least as much, if not more, than any other tech CEO guy. Oh, yeah. And you sound like you're at the totally. very top 1% of that as I, well. I, uh, yeah. I find it amazing that a lot of families don't do that. And it's, it's just, a, it's, a, it's obviously work. Not, not everyone can comfortably do it. The cookbook that, that I wrote has some of the best recipes from the kitchen over the past 20 years. But the other filter I put on it was, can a home cook do this? Can yeah. I cook this for their family? Will their family enjoy yes. it? That's why I wanted to talk with you about it. We have all kinds of cool stuff to talk about. But, and by the way, guys, yes, you can pre-order on Amazon. And I think you should because Kimball's doing awesome stuff. But you have a QR code for every recipe. And so many people, uh, and I, I've been working on getting people to cook at home too. So many people, they don't know how to saute yeah, and you can say saute it until it's done, and it's like speaking French. Actually, it's speaking French, yeah. but it, it doesn't it doesn't translate. Yeah, and so you are going to a lot of trouble actually to record videos. Yeah, exactly. So we, look, yeah. we have a steak recipe there, and it has comes with this beautiful chimichurri sauce. But what people often don't know is how do you even season a steak? Oh, right. And it's, it's like hard. it's 
if you if you just use the right salts, which is just it's just plain kosher salt, which is a li- slightly bigger grain, you can just see how much salt you're putting on the steak. You use table salt, which most people use, it just disappears. Right. And you have no idea. Why do you use plain kosher instead of like Malden sea salt? So Malden is delicious for finishing, mm-hmm. but um, I have too much respect for Malden salt, so <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> I'll put it on at the end of the on, yeah. on top of the steak at the end, but not when I cook it. <laughs> if you're not a chef, Malden sea salt, you might have seen it at a, a nice restaurant. It comes in little pyramids and it's crunchy and it's delicious. Uh, but yeah, it would it would be kind of wasteful. it would break up in the in the pan yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, this, I have. <laughs> Four containers of different kinds of salt in my yeah. kitchen, so I can use the right one. The, the, the two that I use mostly are kosher and, and molden salt. Okay. Then molden for finishing, and then uh, kosher for cooking. I'll use like a Redmond or an Oryx, which is actually South African. So, oh, cool. Yeah. But regardless, guys, whatever you use, um, the hint that using you know iodized table salt is not good for cooking because you can't even see it. So I, I like that. Yeah, you just want to be able to see it, and then and, yeah. and everyone has a different salt preference. So right. you just learn. Do it a few times. You're like, oh, that's kind of what I like. And it's actually a simple technique. But yeah. if you describe it in a recipe, it's, people just gloss over it. But if you show them a video, mm-hmm. in about 10 seconds, they know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And by the way, there's no reason if you're salt. If you've heard lots of my videos about that. Stress people need more sodium. If your body wants more sodium, have more sodium. But maybe you should take magnesium and potassium too because you need those too. So there you Great. Go. Okay. What are we looking at here? Okay, so these are two amazing dishes from the cookbook. Uh, number one is uh, the this uh, char grilled uh, sea bass. These are gorgeous, delicious, and and the 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 obviously it's it's a great recipe. You'll love the recipe. But the technique here is how do you char sea? How so how do you char fish? Mm-hmm. And charring fish is a technique, and it's one of the ones we, we we do with the video. So you'll see here you have you have a fish here that is. Perfectly cooked with a crispy, delicious uh, skin that's got that caramelized, salty texture because mm-hmm. it gets the salt on it. And, and the technique is you put it on the grill and you don't move it at all. And then when, the, when, the, when you can slowly kind of pull the, 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 fish, the fish off without it sticking, mm-hmm. it's done. That is such an amazing trick. It, it also works with really nice cuts of meat. Oh, yeah. People like... You don't have to if you're if you're yanking at it, it is it should not be touched. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no one teaches you that. I, exactly. I am not a trained chef like you, but I have done my share of cooking classes and all. I was trying to combine a molecular, uh, basically molecular gastronomy or modernist cuisine with health. Like my goal isn't to make it taste good first. My goal is how's it make me feel first, and then how's it taste. Yeah. So I got into that, and I did not know that, and I don't think most people listening know that. So that's how you grill. Yeah, and so what we do with next each recipe is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be a beautiful photo of this, but then a little QR code takes you to the video. Shows you how. And shows you how to do it. And, and it's, just go to anywhere you like to buy books. It's called The Kitchen Cookbook. Yeah. Okay. And the rest, the restaurant is called The Kitchen. I heard you're opening one in Austin. That's right. Okay. I hope it's next door to Free Labs, but I don't know. Uh, we're going to be at 6th in Guadalupe. Oh my gosh, we're at 5th. Amazing. So I'm that's be fantastic. out and coming next That is great. Oh, that is great. So cool. Uh, now, I don't know if you guys can go tight on the fish here, uh, but... So if I was going to choose from these two fish, which are both gorgeous, yep. I would choose this fish. Okay. Because it's less charred than that fish, but it still has a nice crust on it. Because too much charring of protein yep. can increase inflammation, right? So I'm always working on teaching people, you know, follow recipes in your book and cook it so that it's 
perfectly beautiful, but maybe not all the way blackened. Yeah, you want to go more golden brown. Golden brown. Yeah. Got so it. yeah, so that one is is better than that one. It is. Okay. So and, I was yeah. going to ask because yeah. some people like the flavor. I, of I actually enjoy it. I do enjoy yeah. it. But um, but if I were to serve it at at at, one, at the restaurant. And, okay. Which one I would I prefer to serve? It would be the golden brown. Okay, got it. So, yes. so then we're in alignment there. Would I eat that one? Yeah, I might take some of the crust off, but I'm not a perfectionist either. Like these are both amazing. Yeah, both of those will taste great. They're magical. Exactly. Okay. And then we have the broccoli here, where I actually do like a little char on the broccoli. Yeah. And it gives a, like here we have broccoli without char on it, and it's mm -hmm. going to taste great. It's well well cooked, and then you add the char to it with a little olive oil, and it just comes to life. And actually, a little lemon juice. Don't, don't forget the lemon juice. Yeah, lemon juice is really nice. People also, people under underrate lemon juice. You just little squeeze, almost anything will taste better. The tiny little sour note at the end. Yeah, it, it also has health benefits. People don't talk about it. Yeah, around breaking up oxalate in the body and all. So I do about a shot of it a day between all my different meals. People don't maybe not always remember, but but it was really the use of citric acid or, or, or oranges and lemons and so forth when we were, that enabled us to explore the world. Because we, our body needs, need, absolutely mm -hmm. needs it. Not like kind of needs it, right. needs it. Mm -hmm. And when you use real lemon juice, a lot of people don't know the citric acid you buy now. It's all from black mold fermentation uh, from an industrial process. Oh, wow. yeah, okay. Yeah. Versus actual real citric acid from lemon. So lemon juice or lime juice or whatever. But if they're freshly cut, it's just yeah. uh, it's so good. All right. Is it true... Because we did talk about Burning Man. And yeah. Alaska. Is it true that the sea bass has DMT sauce on it? Um, you know, it, it, it's probably a good idea. I mean, someone's got to try it. You know, what I've learned is everyone has tried everything at least once. <laughs> I'm, sure has, I'm right? sure someone has tried it. <laughs> uh, so we, we both go to Burning Man. Yeah. In fact, that's where, that's where we met. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's funny. And, and I think most people now know what that is, at least the listeners of the show. And I've been going for 10 plus years. And I think you've been going for a while too. 25 years. 25, wow. It's been on my list for 25 years, but the first 15, my main industry conferences at the same time. And okay. I finally went in 2011 because I, I said, I have to go to a wedding. I didn't tell them I didn't know whose wedding it was. I yeah. just had to go to Burning Man. Yeah. So I gave my keynote and flew out. That and, might have been the year we met actually, because I remember meeting quite a while ago. Uh, we, we met on the bus from the airport mm -hmm. to our camp. Yeah, it might have been 2011 or 2014. Mm -hmm. one of yeah, days. something like that. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's such a you know such a funny serendipity place. Yeah, right? and who would have thought you know years later we're in your kitchen? I know. Um, the are you concerned about the role of of like the overuse of psychedelics now? Well, I am. I'm a big fan of Ram Dass, and that Ram Dass from his early days, he yeah. was part of the Harvard situation where he was Tim O'Leary's. Uh, partner in, in that situation and got kicked out of the school and so forth. And what what you learn if you read his books is he just got to a point where he just didn't need them anymore. Exactly. It wasn't that they didn't help him at the time. And especially if you use them for, for mental health, mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything more powerful and certainly better than pharmaceutical products, which are really more about you taking something every day or, or mm -hmm. uh, some, there's a business model associated with it. The psychedelics have the worst business model on the planet. You try them once, you get that experience, and you're, you're good. <laughs> right. It's uh, to try the once thing yeah. that we're aligned on, or maybe a few times. I mean, if, I mean when, you, when I say try, I mean journey. Like yeah. when you really, really are willing to let go, and you want to do it with a therapist, Thank someone you. that looks after you. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not, it's not a recreational experience, and uh, it's a life-changing, positive experience.
I, I tried it in, in 1999 in the jungle in Peru. And, and when oh, I yeah. was around it, they're like, you're white. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Like, it's for local people. You'll throw up. You'll hate yes. it. I'm like, no, really. And years later, one of my Burning Man campmates, uh, Glenn Wilcox, is one of the guys in DMT, the spirit molecule, in the book about the first studies at UNM. He was one of the, the patients in the study and, and talks about it. So I, I recognize what you're saying. You probably had some DMT when you had your neck thing. Yeah, I absolutely had that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so magical. And it's not really a party drug. And I, I feel like it should be kind of like cooking or growing food. It should be treated with respect. With respect. And, and, yeah. um, and when you need it, 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 it really is there for you. But I was actually just in Peru. I, I came back a few oh, days ago. Awesome. And I was there. My wife wanted, we do a lot of philanthropic work to help veterans get access to psychedelics for, for, for their PTS. It's all ran by the hey, government. Thank you for doing that. PTSD is horrible. I've had it. and It's horrible. The, the Black Rifle Coffee guys, you probably know them through that as well. Do you know them? Uh, no. Here, oh, here. Oh, yeah, please. That'd be great. Okay, no, I'd love yeah, to. Like very love high to. level veteran. Love to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so uh, we went down to Peru to visit some of the indigenous tribes, and I didn't partake. I, I didn't need you, you to. You weren't called to. I, I just wanted to learn where it came from. I wanted to uh, be there to experience uh, this. Where you know, let's learn about this. You know, because we're helping veterans in America. Great, but we should do our research as well. Let's mm -hmm. let's see how it is done in a more more indigenous traditional way. And uh, like I was saying, it's, it's a terrible business model because you don't you don't seek it. You don't grasp mm -hmm. for it like you might um, yeah. other drugs. And it's it's kind of scary. Clearly, uh, fentanyl is the best business model. Oh, my God. I, it's a what a nightmare. Drug, but it's a great business model because you can't say no. You can't say no. And, you know, actually, the state of Kentucky is now uh, uh, working with a, a medicine called Ibogaine. Oh, which it's I've, great. Which I've never, I've never taken that. It, but, it, but it's, it's actually, on my list. I'm, I'm actually scheduled to go do it. And it's about getting people off fentanyl. Mm -hmm. and, and guess yeah. who's fighting it? Pharmaceutical industry. I wonder why. Yeah, I mean, it's just so sad. I mean, it's wow. just... maybe the WHO can ban it for us. <laughs> right? Seriously. <laughs> so, let's see. I have two more questions. Let's cook a steak. Great, love it. Okay. First question. You spent a lot of time with Walter Isaacson. Yeah. Elon's biography, and I I thought it was really interesting. Uh, is, is Walter legit? I mean, he talks a lot. Of, like, a lot of stories. Was he really that embedded with you? I, I mean, I I spent hundreds of hours with him. You Walter. did? Okay. Yeah. I, I was blown away by, by the whole story and the narrative, and I, I, I thought it was such a respectful, and, and, you know, I felt like I got inside inside his head. But I, I always wonder, did they sit there for 10 hours and tell a story? But you spent hundreds no, of he, hours. No, he was that. more embedded than he was interviewing. Okay. And um, I don't think you can write a book like that without actually – being, uh, you know, with my brother, I think maybe 10,000 hours even, you know, like, wow. like two years of, of either physically there or on conference calls. And then with, with us, with me, with, me, with me a lot. And he's just so good at what he does. He, he, he's not trying to, he's not trying to create, create a gotcha. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to get to the, to the story, to the, the truth, yeah. the truth. Of, and if, what is truth? Okay, fair enough. He's got to have an opinion. He's got to, write a story that, that, that captures the reader, which he's so good at. But, but he worked so hard to get as much of the story in his own psyche as possible versus writing a story about someone else. It, it was just fantastic. I, I was kind of mesmerized by it. Was, here's an idea, guys. If you haven't read or listened to Elon Musk, by Walter Isaacson, you could do that and at the same time order the Kitchen Cookbook. 
And then they'll show up on Amazon, if that's where you go, as people who read this bought this. And then everybody wins. What do you think? I think it's great. In fact, there are quite a few recipes in there that I've cooked with Elon over the years. Oh, well, there yeah, you go. So, I mean, okay. it's, uh... so, so we'll get those paired up. So, and I'm serious, guys. The Kitchen Cookbook, if you like to cook, and you probably do because you probably read the Bulletproof Diet and all that stuff, there's really good stuff in here. And the techniques, you want to know this because you will save money and food's expensive right now uh, when you just use the QR code. So that's one of the cool things. Uh, it's just, it, it matters. So do that. And also, I recommend meaningful books. Uh, the biography is amazing. So pair them together. Do everyone a solid. I mean, I think the the, the joy of cooking for me um, actually does, even comes through in the book. You know, where I, yeah. I actually I do I cook a little. I do actually okay, cook for my brother. I, 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 and again, I don't even I didn't tell him that story. He just heard it through the ether. Oh. I would do it with SpaceX engineers when I would fly out to this island in the mid Pacific called Kwajalein. And they're, they're all rocket scientists. I'm Elon's brother, so, so they've got stuff to do. I'm, I'm just kind of there to be helpful and you know, there to advise my brother where, 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 where I can. But really, they're working. So I, I got to know someone on the island, start cooking for them. And I you know, found this little grocery store, barely even a grocery store. And it was either that or the, the military cafeteria, which is the worst food you can imagine. Right. And so at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're talking about very simple ingredients like cans of tomatoes with some hint of vegetable here and there, <laughs> beans. But still, there was love in it. Yeah. And we'd wow. sit down after a hard day, sometimes really crummy day where blew up a rocket, mm-hmm. and sit around a part of, like, a, you know, again, there's no tables. This is a, a military base on an island. And we just scoop into our bowl and sit around a circle and... and how often does the board of directors member cook for people in there? I, I think that I think that is something that, that's special to me. <laughs> it's very, very special, and I I believe that that people on teams and and engineers and uh, the rocket guys in the bank, it, it it changes the culture. It really it really does, and and especially when you go through hard times with with folks and you don't really know what to do. Going back to the kind of social anxiety of I think I have it where. What, co- what cooking does for me, it calms me down. Mm. And so when you're dealing with a difficult time and you're cooking and everyone gets to kind of partake and, and it calms them down mm-hmm. and it brings people together. It really does. Yeah. Let's cook the steaks and then we're going to talk about health, longevity, cognitive function. Great, I love it. All right. All right. So, so what do we have for steak? We have uh, two New York strips. So they, these are grass-fed. Oh, and we have a grain-fed one. We have a grain-fed one for a comparison. Yes. And to the to the trained eye, to the trained eye, you can tell the difference. <laughs> so industrial grain fed beef, grass grass fed. fed. Right. So at the store, just look for the difference. Just, you, can just, you, you, you can do this. <laughs> All right. So what we're gonna do is we have some delicious ghee with some thyme, and uh, this is a tip that Dave gave me, which um, is you actually put the thyme, the dry thyme, into the ghee, and it'll help prevent the, the ghee from oxidizing too much onto the steak. Uh, so first of all, we're going to do a little seasoning. So right. let me get the... Get the room temperature? Are they designed to be room temperature? Are they you, ideally, you want them to be a little bit room temperature. You want to take them out of the fridge a little bit because it'll just cook more evenly yeah. through. Um, uh, obviously, most people don't have that necessarily that much time. But even if it's five or ten minutes out of the fridge, yeah. it helps a lot. As a professional trained chef, well done is the best steak, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with ketchup? Right with ketchup, exactly. In fact, it's one of the recipes. <laughs> Just cook it till it's dead and ketchup. 
rare, medium rare guy? Medium rare. Yeah, medium rare, medium rare too, yeah. Um, so uh, ribeye is is is, a, is is a bit fattier. This New York strip here, you can see, uh, especially this one, has, has it got a gamier look to it. I prefer the flavor of grass-fed because it's that, that it tastes more like meat. It tastes like meat, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, what, what we do at, our, at the kitchen is we work with our farmers. We, we actually go visit the farm. We watch what they do. Um, I have a confession. When I'm staying in Boulder, I go to the kitchen and I have your steak for lunch and dinner almost every day. Fantastic. <laughs> it's the best. I love it. We, we, we obsess over and, it. And also, I have to tell you something. It's a nice sit-down restaurant. It's 29 bucks. It is actually fairly priced. And it's really good. So thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I, can, I can eat that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, now what we're going to do is uh, we're going to put some what, seasoning on the steaks. Let's do one ribeye and one New York strip. Okay. So one of the things, one of the tips in the cookbook is, is to use kosher salt when you're seasoning. And you can tell how much you can see it. Whereas if you use table salt, it just kind of disappears into the steak. So, so Kimball, is this... The steak that I'm going to be able to get at the kitchen in Austin? You're going to be able to get a great steak at the kitchen in Austin. Um, we, we, we actually do a special a special cut all the time. Oh, it won't be this one. It won't be this exact one. I think we're going to have to eat this one okay. today. Okay. <laughs> all right. I, I guess so. I, I when are you opening, by the way? We're going to open late summer of 2024. Late summer. Okay. When you do that, I will be, I'll be there on opening day. Just let me know. Love it. That's great. Friends, okay? Thank you. And now I love that you're in Austin now. It's so awesome. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to turn it over. Gonna get uh, salt on the other side. That's a beautiful steak. Yeah, the grass fed. That you can just see the color in it. It's just so much better. They look like healthy animals. The other ones look like beastie animals. Yeah, exactly. So this is uh, I'm giving uh, this. This is your trick that I'm doing right here, which I think is pretty fun, and I'm pretty sure it's gonna work out pretty great. So this is thyme mixed in ghee, and. Um, what we're going to do is we put that straight onto the onto the stove, and uh, what you're saying is like it actually reduces the oxidization. Yeah, some of the polyphenols in the in the herbs, rosemary, thyme, oregano, in particular, they help to protect the oil, so you get that nice caramelization, but the oil's better. Okay. So, now I noticed using stainless steel. Do you recommend in the book the kind of pans people should use? Yeah, so actually there's two, sort of two kinds of pans I would recommend. One is cast iron, mm -hmm. um, and the other is a thick-bottomed stainless steel pan. Nice. And it's, it's really about that, that ability to hold heat. Mm -hmm. If you use a thin pan, uh, you're, you're, you're just going to burn things much quicker. But what, what you get out of a nice thick pan is, is even, even heat. Mm -hmm. One burn, you know, you, you'll get burning spots in a in a thin pan, right. and then that comes back to oxidizing the oil, and you get that kind of metallic taste out of out of the oil, which no one likes. For, for years, I was using Le Creuset because these are those really heavy cast iron. Yeah, I've got them right here. Yeah. Okay, but it has the not ceramic. I guess it's ceramic um, coating, not the yeah. non-stick ceramic, but just ceramic. Um, but then I was finding that if I left the food in there, it keeps cooking for a half hour. So you have to move, remove it, it and put that, it in. That is one of the, the benefits, yeah. arguably, of a cast iron because yeah. you can cook, like, you can braise things, and, okay. and it, ha it holds heat better. Um, the, the benefit of a stainless steel is it's lighter. Mm -hmm. so, lighter. So when you, when you move, when you, depending on who you are and what size of the pan is, uh, you, you know, can, you're pulling this out of the, out of the oven. You've you got a hot handle. 
Yeah, sure, you're going to wear gloves and everything, but it's, it makes a difference if it's a little lighter. And if your pan weighs 20 pounds, you have little kids, something bad's going to happen. Just Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and actually one of the things uh, I teach in the cookbook is what, how do you handle hot pans? Oh, so this is kitchen skills and cooking is a good way yeah. to put it. It's called yeah. the kitchen cookbook, and it's... Like this is how cookbooks should be, to be honest. Yeah, you know, I, I it's, it was really fun you know, for me to work on... I've, I'm a student of cookbooks. Mm-hmm. I use them all the time. But I actually still learn something new every day. And, and that's what's beautiful about cooking. And so I was like, well, why don't I try and teach some of these what I would call kitchen hacks mm-hmm. into, uh, into the cookbook? It's beautiful. Now, I have a, two questions for you. One... Our butter, our ghee, is puddling over here. Do you like to roll it back and forth? Well, what I'll do is I'll just turn the pan around a little. Okay. That works. Just to get. Second one, the the number two source of indoor air pollution after smoking is kitchens. Yep. Right? And so I'm always encouraging people to, you know, turn on the exhaust fan. But mine at home doesn't even work. So I I end up putting an air filter in the kitchen. And it does turn yellow when I do it. As a, when you're working in kitchens and all, how do you protect your, your lungs? when you're over a pan all day? Well, one of the things, like I just did here, was, yeah. I, was I was noticing it smoke on the side, mm-hmm. and I just pulled the pan over here. I, I, I'm, okay, I, so you're, I, you're controlling it. I'm controlling it, so you, you, it would benefit, I guess, a little bit from having the, the, the fan on. But then they couldn't hear but us. It, so okay. But then they couldn't hear us. Yeah. But actually, <clears throat> a lot of it's got to do with, you're, <clears throat> you're just letting it, bur- you're letting the oil burn. <clears throat> so, 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 so you can... Move the oil so it doesn't burn. Yeah, okay. exactly. And move the pan around. So if I... If I um, uh, but like you can see it kind of out there. That's where the right. heat is. And no pan is perfect. So you just got to watch your pan. If it's, if you see it smoking, just move it a little bit off the yeah. heat. Now, do you like to turn it with tongs or a spatula? What tool do you use? Um, I love spatulas. Okay, no yeah. kidding. I, so I, I, I have um, two, two kitchen hair, or actually spatulas and, and, um, and, uh, and tongs are my two favorite uh, pieces of equipment. The, um, um, let me see if I've got my... My favorite here, so it's actually not here, but one of the things that, that is very, very important about a spatula. Grass-fed Merry Christmas spatula. <laughs> right, grass-fed Merry Christmas is, is a flat edge. Yes. And so most, many spatulas, or even wooden spoons, are kind of rounded, mm-hmm. and, and actually you need that flat edge. Yeah. So what, what I can do here is I can kind of get in there with it, I can see it's moving nicely. If it moves nicely, it's ready. If it doesn't move, it's not ready. Yeah, that one looks like it needs a bit of time. That one looks like it's ready to turn. If your steak doesn't want to lift off the pan, leave it alone, and then it'll want to lift off, right? And look how that beautiful... That's gorgeous. Wow. Gorgeous. That also comes from being grass-fed. Yeah. Yeah, and you can actually see the time that we put in the ghee. So it's embedded in there. Yeah. And it's not burned. Not burned. You had temperature control. Yeah. That's good. Okay. And that that one only needs a little time before I turn it. Wow. And this has also, this was a really fatty New York, like what you want. Like the more fat yeah. is better. If and it's, it's actually rare for grass-fed. Grass-fed is usually leaner. Yeah. But this was a, you could tell it's grass-fed because it's darker. Mm-hmm. But um, um, that, that cow had a good life. Yeah, that grass. cow had a good life. Exactly. Exactly. And then this guy is the ribeye, which normally. Normally would be always, very fatty, but yeah. that's, a, that's quite a lean ribeye. I picked the ribeyes. But the other thing is, the steak shouldn't be the same. It's, it's not a cubed industrial product. It, it's yeah. a function of, you know, how did the cow live? What was it fed? Where was it? How much sunshine? How cold was it? Yep. So it's supposed to be different and it's okay. And and when you go to Instacart, they give you a hunk of meat. But when you go and you say, I want that one, you can actually pick the good cuts, yep. right? And I, we, we, we love, yeah. and I would encourage anyone else to, you know, I know it's moving nicely, right? So 
Oh, that's gorgeous. See that? <coughs> and that's just like if you if you need to if, if you it, it doesn't want to move, it is not ready to be moved. And even here, the herbs are intact. Yeah, so it's, it's gonna have that nice infused flavor. That's a beautiful little thing. I'm gonna use that in the future. Oh, um, so you're mixing the thyme in with the ghee, and then you just smear it on the on the steak. Great. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna put some fresh thyme on it. And we're gonna put it in the oven. Oh. <laughs> Nice, and the oven is 400. I do. I like to do it pretty hot, so 400 degrees okay. convection. Convection. Convection yeah. is magic. Yeah, because it'll actually keep the keep crisp, crisping the steak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you know how long to leave it in for? Well, because we have two side steaks, it's actually not not fair, right? We're gonna have to take one out sooner than the yeah. other. But I'll leave um, that one. Hmm? I'll leave that one. Yeah, right, exactly. But the uh, no, so the um, um, that that uh, New York strip, because it's a thinner cut, five minutes. Okay. No, in ten minutes. And the way I, I tell my steaks, and for me, meat is a central food group, right? Quality yeah. meat. Um, I use the test where if you squeeze your fist all the way, that would be you know well done. And if your hand is totally loose and you push right here, that's rare. So I just push on the steak a little bit to, to know how well done it is. Yeah. Well, if you, like if you, I, if I might like mush the steak. Am I harming? No, the no, no. You're doing fine. I think if you, if you actually penetrate the steak with a knife, which a lot of people do, like they'll do a thermometer. That's, right. that's not that's gonna hurt the steak. Yeah, that's gonna take the juices out. You really want to learn how to touch it with your finger and get a feel. And you, you're gonna make a lot of steaks in your life, so just practice. It, it takes about one week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one is too. Yeah, I, I like that one better. You know, yeah. it's pr pretty straightforward. And if uh, if you use an infrared thermometer, it's useless because it's exterior temperature and it's the middle you're worried about. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Exactly. I I I don't use thermometers unless it's like a Thanksgiving turkey and I'm cooking yeah. for. People that really want to dry turkey, okay, yeah. fine. Or but, if, if it's a 12-hour roast or something, you know, you want the inside and you never... Yeah, you really can't get it right. Yeah, sure. Then then use it. Yeah. Even then, though, around the thermometer, it's always cooked wrong because the thermometer... Can no, exactly. And, you know, where is, where is that, where's the measuring point? Is it actually getting to the center? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. So. All right. As it's in the oven, I know you're using your chef's clock in your head to know when it's done. Sure. You'll just know. Unless I distract you. So... I'm into radical longevity. I wrote a really big book on all the science, all the things we can do to live longer. Food is at the center of living longer. Yep. Eating industrial toxic food with, and I say toxic food, like actual toxins from man-made or from lead and mercury and cadmium or nature-made pesticides. Some of those are not really good for us. Um, by the way, nature-made pesticide, caffeine. So that's also... <laughs> it's it's, your, it's, you're uh, a fan. It's <laughs> so, so, not all plants are bad. But... Um, What's your take on radical longevity? I mean, how long yeah. do you think you could live? You know, I, uh, I, I, I have uh, my, um, what's the right word? My idol or my inspiration is my grandmother on my mom's side who mm -hmm. died when she was 98. And she was the happiest person I, I know. And uh, I, I, I love, learning. I know this about you as well. I love learning from my elders. I love learning from people who are 70s, 80s, 90s, what, 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 what about it is working for you? And I, I really have learned it comes back to community. It comes back to those relationships you have that are deep, that are there for you, that, that bring you happiness, bring you joy. Um, there's this beautiful study by Harvard. It's almost 100 years old now. Started in the 1930s. They did like 450 kids, 
half from the very difficult part of Boston, half from uh, more uh, upper class, and they've been following them now almost 100 years. There's five or 10 of them uh, mm-hmm. still alive in their late 90s. And um, the, there are many things that, that each one of them could do. This is prior to biohacking, prior to the, kind of the, the amazing lessons that you've been able to learn and, and share with the world. And so the, the only thing that they could correlate that there was one thing consistent with people who lived into their, into their 90s mm-hmm. was really strong, good relationships at age 50. Wow. And I was like, wow, I'm 51, and I've got these beautiful relationships with my kids and my family, my wife. Okay, I think I'm going to do okay. <laughs> wow, I love it. So you're open as long as it's a good life. But yeah. if you could live 200 years and you had great relationships the whole time, would you do it? I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a... I think I kind of, because of my accident, I feel like I've already died. Mm. So I kind of, everything's gravy for now. <laughs> so. it, this is really important uh, because a lot of people, especially the, the people I worked with like 25 years ago in the longevity movement. Yep. I mean, my clock is going afraid. off. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're clearly afraid of dying. And yep. I want a better and longer life to do more good versus I don't want to die. Yeah, right? exactly. Oh, these are gorgeous. Look at these steaks. It, it's like a professional fishing. Oh, look. <laughs> These are true. So that's beautiful. what you do oh, with look your. At this. I never have done this. That's what you do. Just put it on okay. there. If you're listening, that uh, you take the hot glove thing of a mitt and you just invert it and put it over the handle. I've seriously never done that in my life. That is one of the greatest hacks ever. And now, of course, you're not going to grab it by accident, but no one else is going to grab yeah, it by no accident. Kids will grab it. Right. Exactly. And when I, I I move pretty fast, I actually do forget. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so I grateful. On, on yeah. Exactly. Okay. So we're just going to take this guy out. And the other thing you want to do is you want to let the um, let the steak rest. How long should it rest? It should rest. The, the, the rule of thumb is one-third of the time that it took. That long? Yeah. Wow. So, But it's a rule of thumb, so I'd say um, it can actually rest longer than that. You know, a good steak doesn't kind of get, doesn't get worse. You just don't want to get cold. Yeah, cold yeah. steak is not so nice. Now... One of the things I've done, because I, I, I put a lot of energy into food, but when I cook to my family, I've done a lot of that, especially when the kids were younger, um, when my companies were smaller. Um, I would always heat up the plates in the oven. Because I yeah. feel like food tastes better on a warm plate, warm, but and it's free. Totally right. Okay, so you do that too. Totally right, absolutely. Right. It, it's life-changing. Guys, if you don't believe me and, and you're a cook, even if you're just making mac and cheese, which I probably wouldn't recommend, even if it's vegan, it doesn't matter. It's probably worse. Uh, but then just... Warm the plate up with hot water and dry it off real quick, and it'll taste better. Yeah, like it, it's free, right? Yeah, okay. it's great. In fact, we have a hot oven there. Put that. I put a plate in the oven for just thirty seconds, yeah. and it warms it up nicely. There's something nourishing about that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. We, that's a that's a any good restaurant will always do that. So that's why yours. Why do things taste better in a restaurant? Well, there the whole bunch of things add up, and one of those things is, is a warm plate. Very very cool. Yeah. Uh, other questions. So you're saying you're you're down with dying whenever you're done is what I'm hearing. So like, well, I mean, I don't want to go anywhere. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm. But you're not I'm, afraid of it when it comes. You, you know, I think I don't really have a relationship with it. One of the things you you taught my community over the years is that it's it's okay to have fat. Yeah, it, fats, you know, right. good fats and you know, good butter or good ghee or or in this case, this delicious steak, and it it gives a sense of freedom for people to enjoy food because fat does. Good fats uh, does does make it taste better. Does does give it give it that umami flavor, um, but it's been great. So I've I've always I've always appreciated that about your work. A new study just came out um, 
it, you just brought it to mind, where they looked at the difference between a 20% and a 40% of calories from fat diet on testosterone levels. And they were doing saturated fat like butter and yep. animal fat. And they found 40% raised testosterone 50% above 20%. So if you're on a low-fat diet because you think it's good for you and you're tired and you're not motivated, your testosterone is low, whether you're a man or a woman. And when testosterone is low, your dopamine is low. So just, you just don't care as much. Yeah. So I feel like, like quality fats are part of the diet. You don't have to go crazy. Yeah. But I think the key is quality. The key is real food. If mm -hmm. you can identify it, it's not processed. Um, but it's funny you say that. I just got my 50-year-old checkup. And my doctor was like, ah, you're probably going to have low testosterone and so forth. Nope, I'm good. Good for you. He's like, you're good. You don't look like you have low testosterone. You can spot it. As a former 300-pound guy, you, you tend to get like the, the dad bod, and no matter how much you exercise, it won't go away. Ah, interesting. Okay. That's, that's when you know the testosterone has dropped. Interesting. Right? And oh, you yeah. look like you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, but I also think it's got a lot to do with the food. Yeah. Good fast. Do you, do you know about zero-rake? Yeah, so, so, so what, what I love to do is constantly learn about food. Yeah. So whether it's a cultured oil like this or even lab-based, lab-grown meats, uh, we, we, my wife and I will advise or help companies, mostly because we are curious, we, mm -hmm. we, what we want to learn. This is a pretty good product. At Zero Acre, now Hop Dottie and another big chain, they just replaced their uh, fry oil with this. I was a seed investor and uh, oh, cool. advisor awesome. Zero Acre Cultured Oil. The reason for this is it destroys less farmland than soy and canola, and it increases the health of everyone who eats the fast food over what they're doing now. Yeah. So I, I just caught this out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, you know about this. It's yeah, cool. yeah. So you're experimenting. <laughs> we, are, we are constantly experimenting and love the, the you know, I, even though, of course, I care about the love of food and how animals are raised and whether it's regenerative and so forth. And we also have science. Yes. You know, like, well, there is no reason we have to choose. We can do both. Thank you for saying that. It's not one or the other. Yeah, exactly. It, it, and I, I show gratitude and respect for animals, and I also eat them and find them delicious. And I know that they're okay with that because I've done the deep work. And at the same time, we can calculate deaths per calorie. We can calculate the square meters required to feed a person quality food versus what a lot of people are like, well, how much does it cost to feed them? Well, we're going to feed them ground up cockroaches or something. It's not very much, but we yeah. don't want to do that. We'll do that. Like, exactly. Look, let's, let's honor humans too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love that science and... Science yeah, you can, have, you can have both. And in fact, we why, why cut yourself out from learning from as many cultures or ethnicities or uh, ways of life? Just, just don't... Don't necessarily just choose the ones that matter that matter to you. I love that very much. Kimbo, thanks for inviting me to your kitchen. Thanks this was so cookbook. fun. It was super fun. Guys, it's called the Kitchen Cookbook. And I'm serious, this is a cookbook you want to get because I just learned two things right now about the handle um, on the the handle on the pan and whether I'm supposed to eat this stuff, uh, which is it's pretty good, right? <laughs> it's like french fries but good for yeah right exactly exactly um, so get the kitchen cookbook and i'm also serious if you haven't already listened to the autobiography with all from walter isaacson buy them together and then what will happen is everyone will know, oh if you read this book you should read that book and that just yeah. helps your message and your mission which is genuinely a good one thank, thank you. you very much thanks for having me on the show you're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey.
A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.